Hope everybody's having a good summer. And uh, just hope today is a good day for uh, you and the Lord uh, to get a little closer. Because that's really what we're all about as we gather. Um, myself, Brian, Tom, just speaking of some staff, Brittany, um, Jackie. Uh, just There's a number of people that work here. Uh, and one of the things that we dream about is for everyone who comes to have a little bit closer connection with God in some way. And hopefully whatever we do uh, in our worship time, as far as our responsibility goes and as far as our personal life goes, we hope that it resonates with um, uh, the desire that, uh, that I've just laid out in front of you. And hopefully you've seen that a little bit. If not, um, it's always good to get a chance to get to know you a little bit better and find out what your dream is. And maybe you've never had a dream before and you thought, you know, I don't know that that's really my thing. But I, I, I think if you've discounted it, I hope that as you go through the series with, with us, you'll give it another look. I, I don't know if you were watching the, new, or the news yesterday and perhaps uh, just uh, any, any sporting events that uh, were uh, preeminent. Uh, if you did, you might have saw something that was uh, a breakthrough, uh, at least from the standpoint of skydiving. Maybe you know where I'm going with this, maybe you don't, but I'm always thrilled when I see breakthroughs happen. And this, this particular breakthrough uh, that I'm going to show you on the screen, uh, I think in a lot of ways, even though it's not directly related to God and his purposes, it has elements that I think uh, show us uh, what the realm of possibility can present it. And if you're watching the news yesterday, you perhaps uh, became aware of a skydiving incident that began at 25,000 feet above the ground with a skydiver who at that point decided he would jump out of the airplane with no parachute. Now, I'm going to tell you that it does end well, but it's scary. So let's go ahead and take a look. Jumpers are away, jumpers are They're off. Now he's practicing the flip. That's how he'll have to land. He'll have to land on his back. thousand feet the oxygen mask will come off that will be from his cousin Andy Farrington will be closest to him the oxygen mask. Now at 12,000 feet, he'll hear a beep in his helmet. That will tell him he's halfway home. We'll see his jump team pull their shoots, and that means Luke is all alone for the rest of the way. At 6,000 feet, he'll get another beep in his helmet. 
shoots. Luke is on his own. And the crowd on the ground looking up, they have a visual on him right now. Is that a nail biter or what? I mean, I, every time I watch that, I get nervous, even though I know how it ends. Uh, it, just the execution of that whole thing is, it, it's, uh, it's beyond me. It's beyond my imagination. Can you imagine him waking up in the middle of the night, nudging his wife and saying, honey, guess what? I just had a dream. Uh, one, of the, one day I'm going to jump out of an airplane from 25,000 feet and I'm going to land in a net that's 100 feet by 100 feet. What do you think about that? I think that's a good idea. And I can see his wife just looking at him like, you're out of your mind. And I'm sure that as uh, he began to process that dream, um, that's probably what he was thinking. The fact of the matter is, it wasn't a dream that he had. It was, it was actually the prompting of someone else who said, you know, you ought to jump out of an airplane at 25,000 feet and be the first person to do that uh, in, a, in a calculated way and uh, break the record for the longest uh, parachuteless uh, skydive. And you know what he said when that idea was first suggested to him? Are you crazy? I have a wife. I have a family. I, you know, I don't have a death wish. But interestingly enough, uh, Luke uh, Aikens, who uh, we saw just perform that um, incredible stunt, uh, was a person who felt that as that idea began to sink in and, this, and the seed was kind of planted, that he, he just felt this unrelenting urge to make it happen. Now, none of us in this room, I don't think, would ever have that desire because our giftings maybe aren't even near that, or our experience, our equipping. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but just our basic sense of that is impossible would kick in. But you know, that's the idea behind any dream is that the impossible becomes the possible. And for the first time, we just witnessed something happened that no one imagined that it could ever occur. I mean, if you just asked me before I saw that, if, that, if there was any, any potential possibility within the remotest realm of possibility for something like that to occur, I would just say, no, never. But what we don't realize, and what I didn't know until I looked into this, was uh, Luke Aikens actually grew up in a family that uh, ran a, a business that had been going on since his grandfather had returned from World War II that was centered on helping people learn how to skydive. And after uh, being raised in that environment where he's learned all of the ins and outs of skydiving and he's equipped to do that uh, successfully and prior to that jump 18,000 times successfully. Well, you can imagine where his confidence is and where he's thinking the next level of challenge might reside and we just witnessed uh, him do that. Now, I don't know what you do after that but it truly is a case where the dream becomes a reality. The impossible becomes a possible. And as God is working in our lives, he's doing a lot of that already. If you're here, it's probably because the impossible thought of a loving God who is 
responsible for all of creation, all of a sudden zoomed in on me and has prompted me to be here so that I could know him personally in a better way. And if you don't believe that, that's actually what is going on. That God does love you. And that God has a wonderful design for your life. And he sees us where we are and he says, we got a lot of work to do to get you where you need to be. And if uh, God is working in your life, chances are he's activating not only your mind, but your imagination to what could possibly become that isn't. See, I think God's love is so great and his passion for us is so immeasurable that um, we see just looking at the cross how he expresses his desire to make us known to him through his forgiveness. And I also think that love is so great that when he sees us where we are, that love begins to add value into our lives to transform us into something that we're not. My, my wife called me a few years ago and said, I've been at Rogers and we see a dog there that I'd like to bring home. And my first response was, no, 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 we're not getting a dog. And she said, but he's dehydrated, he's sick, and if we don't rescue him, he's not going to make it. Well, how do, you, how do you respond to that? Do you say, no, too bad? I mean, I'm a pastor, what do I say? All right, bring him home, but he's your responsibility. And I looked at him and I thought, he's dehydrated, he's dirty, he's not going to make it. And then the unthinkable happened. He started licking me. And I'm thinking, I do not want a dog, I don't want to connect with a dog and this dog's not going to make it anyway. And sure enough, he just kept getting closer and closer. And I'm thinking of all the people he wants to bond with, it's me. And I couldn't help myself but to begin to love him back. And as a result of that love and the love of my family, that dog was transformed from a, a dark little mass of dirt and dehydration to... Have you ever heard of a 25-pound Yorkie, by the way? She says he's only going to be 8 pounds. He's 25 pounds. So there's obviously some sort of genetic tweaking that they did at Rogers that allowed that dog to become who he is. And he's an awesome dog. And I just love him to no end. But he transformed through love to something that I've come to know and enjoy. And man, the day that he goes, I hope... You know, it's just hope God gives me the grace to handle it. And when God looks at our lives, um, it's in a lot of ways the same thing. He sees us in our pathetic state and he pulls us out of that. And when he does, he has something in mind that's even beyond just making us better. And if you have your message notes with you, we're going to look at a guy who was part of a vision that God had. It was God's dream. And he says, I'm on board with you, God. This is impossible to happen. But I know because of who you are and what you've done back in Egypt and the Red Sea and everywhere else up to now, I know that it is completely possible and you are totally trustworthy. And I hope you feel that way about God, no matter where you're at or what you're going through, that he has that ability. But even as you take steps towards him, he sees something in each of us that he wants to draw out to make it an even more beautiful picture. 
And Caleb, I think, described that pretty well. Caleb was an Old Testament character right after the time of Moses. He was one of the younger people that Moses worked with, he and Joshua. And ultimately, Caleb and Joshua were the only old people who were responsible to taking people into the promised land when that day of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years uh, uh, came to an end. And Caleb saw in... The 40 years that he was waiting, a dream just began to expand into a vision of conquering the land and settling all of God's people into it. And I want to go back to the beginning part of the story where this vision of going and taking the land on starts out with a time of surveying the region and discovering what the potential was and what the adversaries might be and coming back with a report which after 40 days in that new land that the people of God were supposed to inhabit, the report came back. And if you're here last week, you remember that it was a report about a land that was very very productive and it was very beautiful and had all of the all the earmarks of a place that God's people could richly be blessed as they settled there. One problem, actually many problems, giants, to name a few things. And giants are something that stir our imagination in a way where they start out maybe a little bit taller than us, but as the, as the story goes on, they're just, um, they're so far up we can't even see the end. Caleb understood that God was going to place them in a position where they could pursue his dream and his strength, but he also understood that there would be adversity. And I, I want to just uh, look at how it begins. If you have your message notes, um, the first one is a quote from Romans which says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Which we just sang about. The second one is a quote from the story of Caleb as his dream is beginning to take shape 40 years prior to the realization of that dream when they do conquer the land. And when they come back and they give this story about how it's a great land but it's got people that will never overcome he said no let's go at once to take the land we can certainly conquer it and in all of his enthusiasm that he's trying to not only express but use to rally the people around him uh, the thought gets expanded a little bit further and Moses is kind of refereeing this and in the next verse uh, from Numbers chapter 14 uh, we see this And it's essentially a call to not be afraid of the people of the land. By comparison, they are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Now I like like what he said about don't be afraid and the Lord is with us. Because it's true. It was true then. It's true now. But the part that confuses me is how, if God has given them this grand dream and has spelled it out pretty clearly, when it comes time to make it happen, everybody starts talking amongst themselves and they say, absolutely not. And if you keep that kind of talk up, we're going to put you to death. And that last verse, verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them is pretty indicative of any God-sized dream that happens. 
One of the reasons why God has these dreams is he sees us in the place that we're at. He sees actually how evil that Brian just talked about does run rampant in this world. And he is deeply grieved by its presence. His desire is to see a transformation happen where we no longer are having to deal with um, the forces of evil on that magnitude in a way that provokes so much chaos and fear and uncertainty. God imagines a day that will come when all of those things are really put in their place. And the people that remain are the ones who will live on forever with him in a place where we'll continue to grow, we'll continue to have purpose, we'll continue to find uh, within that new promised land that is called God's new creation in our case where we can just expand and develop beyond where we're at. But in the first promised land there were people who said it can never happen. Jumping out of an airplane at 25,000 feet is ridiculous. If you're going to try to kill us in the process we're going to kill you first. And that's where we're at. And maybe you've had a dream and it's been a personal dream and God's sort of begun to work on it to take you into his dream. When I was a kid, I had a, well, when I was in junior high, my parents and I, our closest, most memorable times were uh, my junior high years. Um, we were together, my mom uh, and I, we did horses together, my dad and I, we raced motorcycles, and it was just idyllic. Until at the end of my junior high year, uh, and off transitioning to high school, all that just fell apart, including their marriage. And I fell apart as well. And I, darkness surrounds me, chaos abounding. My hope is in what? And I really didn't know. And after a while, I went into my closet and I had no other place in the house where I could go and just be by myself. It was a walk-in closet. And I fashioned out of one side a desk and I put something on the wall. And it was a picture of um, a motorcycle racer that I admired a lot. And I liked his character. I liked to watch him ride. I liked everything about him. He was a hero in, in my imagination. And he had this picture of him going sideways around the track and it said see you at the top and if you've ever raced you know that that's where you want to go you want to be the best you want to be the person who sits on the top of the podium and I thought yeah and I saw it in a magazine I pulled it out and I just plastered it on the wall and I'd go in there and I'd look at it and I'd think about the glory days I think about a time which I was not realizing in that moment a time that was a better day a time when chaos and darkness did not surround me and as I looked at that picture, I would start thinking, what if, what if, what if somehow we could start racing again and my family could come together again? And oddly enough, um, about two years later, my mom and dad got back together and my, my dad even said, you know what? What do you think about racing? And he actually brought home another motorcycle and said, Let's get at it. But the problem was, God had been working on this dream because I was thinking about see you at the top. What does it mean to see you at the top? Where is the top? What happens at the top? And I hadn't really thought much about God prior to 
that period of time. And then when I thought about the top, I thought, well, isn't that where God is at? And I don't know where the thought came from other than I think it came from God. And then all of a sudden, a whole new, I started going down a whole new rabbit hole. And I'm thinking, God, I don't even know how to approach God. I don't have church. I couldn't even imagine. Been to church before and thought I have to wear polyester, which I survived my junior high years with polyester. Thankfully, it was such a good time. I don't know how I would have made it otherwise. And after I thought about church, I thought, no, that's not even a possibility. And there I just kind of remained in limbo for a while. But it wasn't too long when I started sort of being pulled into God's dream, God's vision. And I actually had to make a choice. My dad said, would you like to go racing? And I said, well, racing is on Sunday. And I have just started going to church on Sunday. And I have to make a choice. And it seems like my dream was to do this so that we could have what we had. But there's something larger that God has brought into my field of vision that it's beyond me and it's pulling me into it. And I had to tell my dad, I don't think now's a good time. And I'll tell you why that happened. In your message notes, if you turn that over, this is what God does to each of us. If you look at um, the first part, What I want you to know is that God dreams some things, believe it or not. He has his own vision. They're actually spelled out in what the Bible calls promises. These things are going to take effect. They're happening in God's mind, but it'll just be a matter of time before reality catches up. And in God's mind, one of his biggest dreams is that you and I would be part of his family forever. Now... The idea of family to me, given what I went through, was very appealing. And I'm so grateful that when I did finally walk into a church, the church said, we're glad you're here. And then they came around me like a family. And pretty soon, what God described as a promise in the word actually became a reality and experience. And I hope each of you find that reality take effect here. And I hope that none of us who have been here for a while do anything to dissuade you that this is a family worth being a part of. We're not perfect, but I hope that love wins the day at the end. Family is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's where all of our meaning comes from. I just visited with a lady this week who moved out of town for a few years, and she said, you know, I came back here because these are my people. We have so much history and meaning together. I just can't replace that, even though I was in a good place. And God dreams about that being expanded upon exponentially. And as he dreams these things for you and I, he moves into what we'll do. And so secondly, God not only dreams these things, but um, let's go ahead and consider that he has something going on that is important for all of us to be engaged in. And if you have been a part of a family, you know what that's like. One of the reasons why it was such a special experience in junior high for me was because my parents invested in something that they thought would help develop me. Maybe you have children and you've done that. It could be soccer. It could be uh, some, uh, some other unrelated sporting event or some activity, something that is gonna work to 
show them that you love them, but you're adding value to their life in such a way that it transforms them for a purpose. And then mom and dad and everybody is all aligned and going in the same direction. Putting kids through college right now. Mom and myself and, and the kids, we're all thinking about how do we accomplish this together. And when all the energy goes in the same direction, it's amazing how much lighter the environment is. And God understands that. And he said, while you're here on earth, there are a number of people that I envision being included in my family that can only be there if you play a role in helping them to be a part of that because we all need each other in this process. And God's redemptive purpose, if you're looking at the screen and you see that, essentially means this. God sees us in the darkness that surrounds us. He sees us in the chaos that's abounding. And he knows that we're languishing in that state. And his desire is to rescue us out of it through a blessing cross. And then to re, really reset our lives in a new environment that will go on forever. It is closing the gap between our lives and his to make that connection meaningful. Meaningful so that we thrive. It's God's redemptive purpose. You know, you could come to church and you could get saved and then you could leave and you could tell people later on, I believe in God and I was saved at one point. But that's not really a family. That's just showing up for dinner or going to a reunion or some big event saying, I, I belong to those people. Well, perhaps... But God's vision is for us to draw close and be ready to live together forever. And in this phase of the journey, it's to be on task for what he does. And no one is excluded. There are no family members who are left out of the equation. The family all pulls together in their own way with their own strengths for that end. And not only does he give you that desire, he begins to kindle that. I mean, that's one reason why taking one option two wheels and a very fast engine versus going to church. Going to church all of a sudden seemed to be like the most important thing. Now if you're a kid and you're going to church, maybe that didn't mean so much. Thankfully we've got a great kids program here with, um, with what we're doing through the, our, our volunteers in the Orange Curriculum. That, that, that hope, it's good to hear kids Sam. <laughs> can't wait to come back. But here's the third thing, just real quickly. And that is, you'll begin to see the dream he has for you. And it's all different for each of us. Whenever God says, I'm going to take the dream that you have, and maybe this was a dirt biker saying, see you at the top, and I'm going to take that and move that into a different, wholly unrelated way seemingly, but yet in a lot of ways, it is about what's best. And all things that have to do with God are the best. And God is looking at your life and he sees us busy, and he sees us preoccupied, and he sees us distracted, and he sees us sometimes attending purposes that will not have any lasting value whatsoever. And in between the cracks of all of that, he's wanting to break in and say, I want to show you something that, that, that is going to just change how you, how you spend your time and your attention. Perhaps he's working on you right now in that way. Maybe it's just making you aware that there's something going on around you that isn't the way it should be, but... And impossibly so, God can possibly make it be what it needs to be. 
And maybe he's been working in your life for a long time to make that day happen. And all of a sudden, bam, it's there. And as I mentioned regarding Luke Aikens, that day came. He wasn't looking for that day to come. It just kind of happened as a result of just doing what he'd been doing the whole time. But everything that he had done up to that point, all the equipping, all the awareness, all the resources converge on that moment for that end. And that just in microcosm is what God is doing in our lives. You know, I can see him going to meet the Lord and saying, what have you done? And he said, well, I've done my purpose here. I've landed in a net. And it just seems kind of silly when you compare that to somebody who said, what have you done? And I've Maybe I've attended church and I've taken every opportunity that I could to show love and encouragement to people around me. Maybe I've served in a way that has closed that gap for somebody's life. And on it goes. And it lasts forever in that regard. And we begin to see that God has a dream for us. It isn't that we have to look for it, but it finds you if your eyes are open. So here we go. Let's just go on into, the, into, into what we run into because there are dream killers out there and uh, there are a variety of forces that go to work to keep you from realizing what God wants you to see and become. And in Caleb's case, there were three types of people that could potentially derail the process and they're the same kind of people that you and I run into and easy enough, it's, first of all, your adversaries. There are people, I don't know, most of us probably don't have a lot of any enemies, if any. But the Bible does say we have an adversary. And he is the devil. And he roams around like a roaring lion, looking for whom he may devour. So even if you think that you're on the up and up with everyone within your, the human sphere, in the unknown realm, in the unseen realm, there is, a, there is a malevolent force at work that likes to undo our lives. And for these guys, in their case, it was giants. And Caleb realized that, yeah, all things being equal, this is a tough sell. But he had something in his heart that was the result of seeing God at work for so long that gave him courage. And when he faced his adversaries, that courage knew no bounds. And the adversaries, how, how did he overcome them whenever the time came? Forty years later, it was courage and trusting God. Trusting in the Lord. That was his response. There really is only one way in the, in the, in the Christian way of life. Like a parent trust, is trusted by their children. God is always on the lookout for opportunities to ask the question of each of us. Not, do you believe in me? That would be as silly as saying, do you believe you have a parent? But do you trust me? That's an altogether different question. Because we, as our lives unfold, go into unknown territory on a pretty consistent basis. And in that place of the unknown, God is saying, do you trust me here? And maybe you're, you're here is right now. Maybe it is something that you've never been through before. God's saying, even here, I am trustworthy. Even here, the adversary is not greater than I am. Maybe here, if God is for us, who can be against us? And 
Caleb saw really no problem with this. His eyes were completely on the Lord. But there's also another adversary that we, that we can face. Uh, and that is your allies. Now who are your allies? Those are your friends and your family. Those are the people that mean the most to you. And oftentimes when you dream a dream that seems impossible, there are people around you who will say, I don't think that's a good idea. If you do that, you'll fail and you'll fail miserably. I don't know, I can't imagine, I didn't show you the whole clip of Luke Aikens, but there were people around him who were just thrilled that he made it, namely his wife. And I can't imagine what she thought. Are you sure you want to do this, Luke? And maybe she was afraid, maybe she was convicted that his confidence in what he had done to keep anything, any possible thing from happening in a way that would make it go south, maybe she felt confident that he was skilled enough. And if you go through the storyline, you know that he, he didn't really leave anything uncovered. He knew what he was doing. And he had thought it through and practiced it in a way that um, it, it really was almost like, okay, this is the next, next step. There are people in our lives who will say, I don't want you to do that because I'm not sure you have that capability. One of the people that I, I read uh, in, in one of the books I read uh, for the series, um, there's a couple of them that, that kind of inspired me a little bit. One was by uh, Pete Wilson, and he described being a youth minister in a small country church. And he had this sense that he needed to be a church planner. And that sense evolved into a desire that took on a vision. And he told his church that he was going to go and do that. And they were all very happy for him. And on the day of his departure, they had a big celebration and they just wished him the best. And, and uh, as the, the evening concluded, he, he thought he was the last person in the building and he saw a light on in the library. And he tells a story of walking to the library to turn the light off before he left. And as he did, he heard two people talking in there about what he was getting ready to do. And they said, you know, Pete probably is doing a pretty, pretty foolish thing. We don't understand why it is that he's going into a church planning environment when he's not equipped for it. He doesn't have the resources for it. He's not really that good of a speaker. And there were a few other things that they listed to make the point that he walked out of there back to his car and he just put his head on the steering wheel and he started crying because the reality of what couldn't happen pressed in on him so heavily that he thought maybe this is a fool's errand but what he describes in the book is God just began to overshadow him with a sense of peace and a sense of calm and he said God spoke to me in that moment and, 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 and told him what you're doing a lot of people won't understand and the only reason you're doing it is because I'm calling you to do it. And as you do it, you're going to do things that people will say are impossible. But I want you to keep your eyes on me. And he said after he heard that impression upon his spirit by the Lord, he just had a new piece about it and he walked into it. And if you go to Nashville, uh, one of the big churches down there uh, is a big equipping church for other churches. And uh, it's, um, it's being led by, by Pete Wilson. And he's, um, he's one of those people that look to the vision that God had for him over and above the best intentions of people who cared about him. Sometimes it's like that. Why are you going into ministry? That's just not for you.
But if God calls you, maybe that's what you should do. And as um, we look at people who are around us who are afraid will fail, there are others who say, I'm afraid you'll succeed. We went through a program called Bridges Out of Poverty uh, several years ago, and it described people who really struggle economically and uh, have um, really are well under-resourced. And some of the challenge that they face in that environment is a lack of vision for what could be a better way of life. And one of the things that kept that vision from taking on any sort of clarity in, in the mind of many people in that category is the fact that people around them didn't want to see them get better. And uh, a little video clip was played of a young man who lives in, in the mountains of Virginia. And he had this vision of, of, of going on to accomplish something in terms of getting a professional degree and doing well for himself. And he showed the pictures on the wall and he said, yeah, these have been ripped down a number of times by, by members of my family because they're not excited about me getting excited about a dream. The fact is, they don't want me to succeed because when I succeed, then they're going to think, well, he thinks he's better than me. But it's not a question of being better than anybody. It's just a question of walking into what God's given you the ability to do. Whether you're, you're better than other people or not really doesn't matter from God's point of view. It'd be like somebody saying to one of your kids, I don't want you to get any better. I don't want you to realize your potential. How many parents would say that? But rather, how many parents would say, I want you to do whatever God's given you the ability to do, and I'm here to be your best, biggest cheerleader. But sometimes your allies are the ones who are afraid you will succeed. Sometimes it's your adversaries. Now, just as a, as a means of underscoring the point, I want to show a 40-second clip from somebody that's a familiar face who was a missionary kid who came back stateside and said, I wonder what I can do. They said I couldn't be a high school quarterback. They said I couldn't get a D1 scholarship. You can't make it. You're not good enough. You're not skilled enough. They said I couldn't win a Heisman. They said I couldn't win a national championship. They said I wouldn't be a first-round draft pick. They said I couldn't play in the league. Appreciate that. I like the little dig in there for the Broncos fans out there. But if you know much about Tim Tebow, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about him, uh, it's just one of those individuals who said, what has God given me the ability to do? And how can I use that as a platform for his purpose? And you see that unfold in the front of uh, the national audience. Here's the last thing. and I'm, I'm just going to tell you these uh, real quickly. Your biggest enemy when it comes to your dreams is, in all likelihood this is where you run into trouble. And that's with yourself. And the first thing that you run into is your habits. It takes about 30 days to create a habit. And when you do, you find that that becomes the default mechanism for how you carry out your life in that way. Your habits can be good, they can be bad. And you actually find that, um, let's say, you, you know, you take up um, the habit of... Uh, of, of, of being slothful, like we talked about with the seven deadly sins, any of the seven will work. 
and you said, I've, I've been getting a little bit lax and a little bit lazy or not attentive. And then all of a sudden that just sets, sets you up to stop coming to church, stop praying, stop spending time with the Lord, only to find the chaos and the darkness creeping back in. And it's all because of bad habits trying to take you back to Egypt. Secondly, uh, if, you, if, you, if you have a bad habit and you want to get over it, fast from it for 30 to 45 days and then go back to it and see, see how good it is and you'll find it's not as good as you thought it was. Bad company. Paul says bad company corrupts good, good people and, or good character. And there's a sociologist who, and it's become sort of a truism, you are, did you know that you are the sum total of the five people that you surround yourself around the most. Just think about that for a minute. Because they've measured it and they've seen the qualities and characteristics of individuals and then they've surveyed the people around them and they said this is who you will become if you spend all this time with them. And if you want to have a dream, I'm not saying you should shut them out of your life, but you should just be self-aware enough to know that they can have this effect on what's going on. I mean, you should always keep people in your life who are not close to the Lord if that's the case. But you should make sure that they're not corrupting you in the process. And here's the last thing. As God's dream begins to get a hold of us and our habits sort of are weeded out, keeping us in a good place and our company is, is managed in a way that we're keeping bad company at bay when we know we're the most vulnerable to their influence. But here's the last one. Let's go ahead and show that one. Too many distractions. Need I say more? We are a hyperlinked age. People know a lot about everything, but it's very hard to execute well on any one thing. The more you take distractions out, the more you're actually going to get done in, in, in a linear sense in the things that are important to you. So you have to decide if this is a dream that's worth pursuing, what do I need to get rid of? And Warren Buffett, who is one of the wealthiest men on the planet, said, what differentiates people like myself from other people is we learn to say no. Matter of fact, we just learn to focus on one thing. And that's what sets us apart. And maybe the distractions in your life are keeping you from walking into the thing that God's keeping in front of you. And if they are, maybe you need to get rid of them. But it depends on how important that dream is. Because some dreams are worth pursuing and some things just not worth doing. And God is looking at our lives and he's saying, I have wanted to make you a part of my family since the beginning of time. And I've wanted to call you into a place that is my new creation. And I want to help you to be ready for that as you help other people to get ready for that. And my son has made it all possible through a bloodstained cross that has lifted the curse and paved the way for life to come in. And life in a way that I can't verbally express. I can only tell you and point you to people who when you feel it and when you sense it and when it's in your being, it's something other than yourself. It's God saying, I've come close. And I've made you my child. 
and I've changed your world, and I've changed your outlook, and I've changed your despair, and I've changed your hunger for things that could not satisfy, and I've given you what you need to move forward in a way that is my best vision and my best dream for you. So as we close, uh, if, if, you, if, if God is directing you, and he's given you a dream to take hold of, you have to protect it from the forces that work against it. And maybe the forces right now are saying, don't bring Jesus into your life. Don't bring Jesus into your life. You'll regret it. He'll ruin it. And for those who have taken Jesus into their, into their lives, they're kicking themselves for listening to that for too long. And they've made that step. And I'm sure if you ask any of them, they'll tell you, it's not always easy, but it's always worth it.